We've been talking about uh, this competency of gospel fluency. So the goal of this series is to give us a picture of what the life of a disciple looks like. Uh, what it means to be rooted, you know, roots go deep, to be rooted in the way and the ways of Jesus. And to let his ways and his life shape us from the inside out. And uh, our first competency we talked about was the competency of pursuing God. That kind of the, the, the starting point is us as a people pursuing God. And the past few weeks we talked about this competency of gospel fluency. That we must be fluent in the gospel. That the gospel truly is, um, it is everything to the life of the believer. And we've defined what the gospel is. Uh, the gospel at its core is good news. It's a declaration of good news. And it's good news that uh, we were created by God. We fell into sin. And then Jesus came. We needed a Savior. We needed a Redeemer. We needed someone to bring us back into a relationship with God. We were alienated from God. We were children of wrath, we were told in Scripture. So we needed someone to come and be a Redeemer for us. And Jesus in His blood redeemed us and made us right with God. But also it says, the good news tells us that Jesus will come again and he will fully restore everything back um, to God's original purposes and plans. So in short, uh, the good news of the gospel very quickly is uh, creation, it's fall, redemption, and restoration. That that shorthand of the gospel, the gospel narrative, the gospel story um, has kind of two levels, right? It has a personal level which we were, all, we were all born, correct? We were all formed by God in our mother's womb, correct? We were all created, born into this world by God. Each one of us fell into sin. You've sinned, I've sinned, we have fallen into sin, we are totally depraved, and we are hopeless apart from God. And through saving faith, God has redeemed us through the work of Jesus. Nothing that we have done but His work, putting faith in His work, He has redeemed us. And, and now He is at work fully restoring us and restoring the world around us. But also on this cosmic universal level, we see that God created everything. And then sin came and the world fell, and it needed a Redeemer, and Jesus came. And then finally, one day, He will return again, Jesus Christ, to restore everything to perfection. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration is the story of the gospel message. But we've also seen the gospel, what we fall into is a trap. This trap of believing the gospel is one of two things. Either it's religion, which is we can do things to make ourselves right, or it's irreligion. That, you know what, God loves me, I can do what I want to do. Or I'm just tired of trying on my own. I'm just going to live for myself and do what I want to do. And most of us reject this right here, irreligion. We say, this is wrong. We know it's wrong. We don't believe in this. We fight against this. This is everything the church stands against. And I would say yes and amen to that. But I'd also say that religion is an equal and opposite enemy of irreligion. It is equally opposed to the gospel. This idea that we can do something to make ourselves right with God. And that we must find the true way which is the way of the gospel, that we are not people that are searching for religion or irreligion, but we're people that are seeking and searching to trust in the good news of the gospel, what Christ has done. But here's a question I have for us today. 
as we think through this lens of the gospel, of this gospel story. And, and hopefully, if you've been in church or even walking through this class, you have an idea of what the gospel story is. And that you might even, you would hopefully tell me that you believe this gospel message. You would say it's true. Uh, you would say you put your faith in this gospel message. But, but here's the issue. What do you do? What do I do when we know the gospel and we know that it should change every part of our lives? That this message of the gospel should literally change us, but we look up and many times we're not that changed. Or, or many times we keep falling into the same sins over and over and over again. The question is, what do we do? What do you do? What do we do when we fail? We look up and we know the gospel story and we see our lives and they don't line up. Many times, this is what happens, right? We turn to religion. We see that we keep struggling with lust over and over again. Or we keep worrying about money over and over again. We live in fear over and over again, so we turn to religion. I'll just do better. Yes, God's saving, but now I'm on my own. I've got to fix this myself, make myself right. And we turn to this, and we turn to this, and we fail, and we fail. And many times, because we failed over and over again to kind of fix ourselves, we give up and turn to irreligion. Leave the church, just give up, just kind of live for ourselves at that moment. And today, what I want to talk through is how do we, how do we change from the inside out? Matthew 23, verse 25 says this. And listen, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today. You probably don't have time to turn to it. If you want notes on it later, I'll send you those notes. We're going to go. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 25 and 26. This is Jesus talking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean. Jesus over and over and over again goes to expose the idols of the heart. And here's the deal. This good news, the gospel, should change us literally from the inside out, not the outside in. Look at how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So Paul had written the church in Corinth um, a letter. It was full of some really hard truths he wrote to them. And they, and they heard these heart truths, and they had a response to them. And, and Paul here paints a picture and the difference of how to respond to sin. Look at 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. He's not just glad that they are sad, <laughs> but because you were grieved into repenting. There was this certain nature of their sorrow and their grief that led to repentance. Let's keep going. He says, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And now hear this. This is key. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief. I might dare to say this kind of grief that it's kind of external. This worldly grief that you kind of feel bad about how you might appear to others. This outside of the cup, outside of the dish kind of grief. 
There's two things about this. First, it focuses on the externals. It focuses on, on how you see me. Does that make sense? Uh, repentance and true godly grief deals with the internal, with what's going on inside of me, between me and God. Think about David being caught in his sin with Bathsheba, right? And he, and he confesses to God. He had a man killed and committed adultery, and he says, Lord, my sin was first against you. That he wasn't as focused on the external, but it was the internal of him and God, and now he broke that covenant relationship with God first. And so godly grief focuses on this external stuff. And I will tell you, many of us in our lives, we focus on the externals, on how we are seen and how we fight. We just try and do this better. We'll get a plan here. We'll do this here. It's all this external planning. Here's what I mean. Uh, take money for, for a minute. You, you, sp- you have too much debt. You spend too much money. What happens is you don't repent of your God of money. Instead, what you do is you try to control your God through budget, saving, and planning. Does that make sense? External things, not internal things. And this worldly grief, it says here, it produces death. It produces death. So Paul writes this letter. The church is grieved. They are literally convicted of their sin. And Paul's rejoicing because this grief, it bears out in their repentance. It bears out through godly grief has something deeper than worldly grief. Because worldly grief, this kind of grief that um, is superficial, it's a little shallow, it goes away and it leads to death. And, And I fear many times that we are caught up in this idea of worldly grief and focusing on worldly solutions, so to speak, and never going deeper and focusing on the internal. Because godly grief, it focuses on the internals. Not how people see you, but how God sees you. And how we need to repent from the inside out and put faith and trust in God. And it says here in verse 10, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That is, that's salvation and freedom. Without regret is this picture of just freedom. Yes, there's consequence to our sin, but there's this greater reality that we are made whole and made right with God through true repentance, where there's just freedom. There is salvation and there is freedom. So the question I have today, as we start this, as we talk through this idea of blowing it over and over and over again, kind of fighting the same struggles on some level for weeks, for months, maybe for years. And the question is, not just where do we turn, but like where do you turn? I mean, what is your struggle that you keep coming back to over and over and over again that you can't say that you have salvation without regret? What is that thing for you? We have to, as we grow in this job, in this role, in this competency of being gospel fluent, we have to grow in our awareness of the fruit of our lives. That as we are truly putting faith in Christ and what He did and the good news of the gospel, that it should literally produce a certain kind of fruit in our lives. And part of our growing awareness of the gospel is that we have to learn to be aware of the rotten fruit. This comes out in our thoughts, in our emotions, and our behaviors. In our, in our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors.
And too often, we focus our attention on changing the externals and not the internals. But Jesus was very clear. Remember talking with the Pharisees that what defiles us proceeds from inside our hearts. That's what defiles us. From our beliefs, our motives. Here's kind of like the main point today. The fruit of your life comes from the root of your faith. The fruit of our lives comes from the root of our faith. You know how a thermometer detects a fever? Put it in your child's mouth. It tells you it's good, it's bad. What we see, what we experience, how we behave, react, that's a thermometer of the, of the root of our faith. And if there is constantly just this, I'll say it, rotten fruit in our lives, we have to investigate the roots of our faith. So what is the fruit in our lives? What is the fruit in your life? Just you and God, don't scream it out. But what is the fruit in your life? Let's look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Jesus here is talking in the context of basically false teachers, false prophets. And he is saying you'll recognize them by the fruit of their life. But that principle still applies even for us. It wouldn't be necessarily false teachers. That the fruit of our lives reveals the roots of our faith. That's how Paul describes it in Galatians. This idea of fruits. You probably heard this in, in chapter 5. He says here in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul, you see here, he gives a picture basically of two different kinds of fruits. And so imagine for a moment two different kinds of trees. And both these trees produce certain kinds of fruit. 
and uh, this is true in our lives as well, that uh, these disease trees uh, bear fruits of um, sexual immorality. Or maybe this, this fruit of, of fear and worry. Uh, this, this fear, uh, this, this fruit of strife in your life with others, with your family, people in God's community. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, are joy. It's a big one here, self-control. That's what we see from this healthy tree. And now listen, uh, we're never going to be a perfect tree until God comes and fully restores us, correct? Um, but many times we are just fine living with rotten fruit in our lives over and over and over again. It's become so normal to us. And so either two things are happening. We are either, we do have faith in Christ, but it's a weak faith and we're going to waste our life bearing bad fruit. Or there is no roots of faith at all. And we're just okay with that. Either one is, is not good. But the question is, how do we get to healthy, uh, to become a healthy tree, to healthy fruit? How do we, we get there? Look at John 12. John 12, verse 24. And this is the way, this is the way of Jesus that is nothing new um, and it's somewhat painful. I heard uh, from someone uh, that talked about coming and opening God's Word, either in a Sunday gathering or in a small group or just or in their own personal thing, that would say this phrase that God's Word does not make me happy. <laughs> that I don't like to hear the things about money, about self-control, about love. I don't like these things. Um, that's conviction, isn't it? And, um, and we're never promising God's Word that this is going to necessarily be happy. But I will tell you, just hear this. And y'all know this is true in your life, right? Uh, the, the fleeting happiness from sexual morality is nothing compared to the fruit of joy, is it? Isn't that true? We have seen that borne out in our lives. So let the enemy confuse us and lie to us and us believe that lie that this fruit is good fruit. It is rotten fruit that we should spit out. John 12, verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, talking about himself, actually, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He was speaking to himself as he dies. He had to die to see this fruit borne out. But that principle still is true for us today. Luke 9, 23 says this. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is literally him saying, you've heard it before, to follow me, there must be this daily death. So here's the good news for us. The path to healthy fruit is the death of you. Not today, not once, not at BBS years ago, or when I was five years old at Pinecroft Baptist Church on Juwella Road, when I put faith in Christ. It wasn't just a one-time death. It's literally a daily death. And if you can, if you just for a just a split second, think about the fruit of your life. And we're in desperate need of a daily death, aren't we? Desperate need. But what is the, like, okay, so we, we might agree and say, yes, I see, there should be a daily death. But what is that? What is a daily death to me 
every single day. How do I wake up at six in the morning, get ready for work, and die to myself today? Well, it's repentance is what it is. True godly repentance. Not outside the cup, I'm going to try to work on this or get a, a better habit. I'm talking about inside out, death to me repentance. Mark 1, you've heard it many times. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is the start of his ministry proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. His response, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the start of his ministry. Jesus says, repent, turn away, believe in the gospel. Acts 3, Peter's saying, repent therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is so beautiful here. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. There is this true refreshing that comes from our death. There's just, this just true, just beautiful, refreshing relief of repentance, isn't there? So how do we truly repent? First, we have to learn how to recognize the current bad fruit in our life. We have to learn how to recognize the current bad fruit in our life. So it's very simple. There should be this sense of real confession uh, with God and in community of uh, these things right here. What's funny, the ladies in my group uh, did this on Wednesday night. They literally walked through this, this process right here. Um, they should come teach right now, our class. Um, I won't make you do that right now. But um, that we have to find the fruit, of our, fruit of our, the fruit of our lives and trace it down to the roots of what we're putting our faith in. And once we get to the root of this, of what we're actually believing about God, it's we're going to repent right here. Let me, I'll, walk, I'll walk us through it. I'm not going to draw. There's a picture on your thing. If I draw this and write this, it's going to make everybody confused, and so I'm not going to do that to you today. But we're going to walk through this. So if you, as you think through uh, this first tree, uh, the rotten fruit, right? The first question you must ask, and you see it in your image there, what fruit am I seeing or experiencing right now? What is the fruit that I see in my life right now? Just you and God. What is the fruit I'm seeing right now, if you're being honest right now? Write those examples down. Make a little tree. Write the fruit down. Write it down. (laughs) This is fun, isn't it? Now, in light of this fruit, whether it's worry, whether it's this, whether it's in light of this fruit that I'm experiencing, who am I? Basically, what do I believe about myself? Here's what I mean. Um... So if you're, you're just control, right? It means that I have to be in control. That, it means that I believe that I actually am the God of my life, that I'm the sovereign of my life. Or, or, or maybe for you it's sexual morality. That you just keep battling this over and over and over again. What you're saying is who you are is that you're the ultimate person that's going to please yourself in your life. That you will find satisfaction most in what you think will bring you satisfaction. In a sense, you're the functional God here. Keep going. Next question. In light of this fruit, what do I believe that God is doing or has done? 
So maybe with this sexual morality, you believe that God has just not done enough to satisfy you. That things in the world are more satisfying. Or maybe it's fear and control. Maybe you believe that God is just absent. Or that God, is, that God hasn't done enough. He's not as present in your life as He should be. That God is just an absent God. He is not doing what He needs to be doing. And you get down to the root. The very last question, the root of this right here. In light of this fruit, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about God? Because this fruit is revealing the root of your faith. So if you're feeling the, 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 the fruit of fear, that you're just so, you're petrified of everything, of being broke, of being kidnapped, of a fire in your house, you're just paralyzed by fear all the time. What you're saying is you do not believe God is sovereign and God is loving. You're believing in, in, in essence a false God, a God who is weak, who is not in control, who doesn't have the best things for us. And so at the root of this, as we call out this, in a sense, false God, where we have made ourselves God, correct? Because if God is weak, then I must be strong. And if, I'm, if I think I'm strong, I will have fear, just so we're clear. That's the fruit of that. This is where your death comes to play. You have to die to this right here. Repent of the false God. Not just work on this kind of fear thing, but actually repent of the false God and then move forward to here. Because you're going to repent right here. You're repenting of this false God. And then, here's the good news, you're going to believe in the true God. You're saying no to this false God and yes and amen to the true God. Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And here's the key, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, and that's what you're doing, right? You're literally testing. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But here's the, here's the, here's the real key right here. We can't believe in this true God if we don't know the true God and we find this God where? In God's Word. This is why we talk about reading God's Word. It's so important. The reason we believe false gods many times is because we are full of this world. Our mind is renewed constantly by things of this world. And we have nothing to find out who God is. Nothing to turn to. So our minds must constantly be, be turned to, renewed, set, up, set on things above of who God is. Because many times we're focused on who we are and what we can do. But we need the renewing of our mind, which is found through God's Word. That's why reading and studying and memorizing God's Word is so important. So now we go back up this tree to see, to see healthy fruit. And we ask this question first, who is God? Remember, this is the point of repentance and belief. False God here. We turn away from this false God. Die to ourself, right? And then we turn to and put faith and call out, well, who is God? I know God is not in control. And we, we say, God is in control. God is loving. 
God is perfect. God is wise. God is near. Put your faith in the true God, the God of the Bible. We keep going up. We say, who is God? Next question, what has God done? Well, if God is loving, how is God loving? How is God near? How is God in control? We know because He sent Jesus. It's the greatest picture of love we can imagine, that He sent Himself. It's the biggest picture of God's sovereign plan at work through Jesus. We know He's in control because He sent Jesus. We know He's near because He sent Jesus. And then He sent His Holy Spirit. God is so near. That's what God has done. So now, in, in light of that, in light of God's work, who am I? Think about that. As you turn away from this false God, put faith in the true God and what He has done, who are you? Well, now, I, I was alone, right? I was scared. I was helpless. Now, I'm a loved child of God. And then from being a loved because of what God has done, and I'm a loved child of God. See right here, this who is God, what has God done? That is the gospel. As we know this gospel story, we put it into action right here. What you're believing in over and over and over again is not just you doing more works. It's not this right here, right? It's you putting your faith in the true story of the gospel. And as you believe this, and this, I'll just tell you from personal experience, um, no, no one has arrived, but I can tell you from, from five, ten years ago, there is healthier fruit in my life, not because I've gotten better at this right here, because I have learned through stumbling over and over again to cling to the gospel, not to my good works, and it produces healthy fruits. We're not going to arrive at this, but we can grow in this. And as we study God's word and we just know the gospel, this becomes more normal in our lives. And this should be normal for the church, shouldn't it? Repentance should be normal for us, not just working on behavior, but true godly gospel center repentance should be normal. And then as we believe in the good news, it literally changes the way we live. Because many times I was talking to a friend this week. And many times I, I, I'm, I am grieved on, in my own life as well that, that sometimes the church in our context, I don't always see love, joy, and peace. Or, or all the, what I see many times is people that are anxious, that are apathetic, that are tired. And I pray for the church of Jesus Christ in our area, or just us in this room. Let's just, let's just do that for a minute. Us in this room, that we would see just real fruit, real transformation. Because here's the thing. When your neighbors, when your co-workers, when your family begin to see real fruit in your life, that's when that gospel message becomes, becomes real to them. And, and many times we are, we are trying to tell us a message that we're not believing ourselves, that we're not showing fruit of ourselves. And, and it's just really tough to, for people to hear that message. But as we're people who put into action this kind of daily death of repentance, and put faith in the gospel, and we see this real fruit in our life, real transforming fruit in our lives, that is compelling. That is compelling. And that's the way of Jesus. I'm going to end with this. I was short today. Look at me. Um, I think it's really important. I think when we hear concepts like this that are a little bit, I wouldn't say complex, but there's, there's some thought to them, and there's these trees, and there's this way to learn this and teach this. This becomes a concept we learn, 
and not true repentance. Does that make sense? We live here today and we've learned a new thing, and that's good to learn a new thing. But I will tell you, my hope as we leave today is that we put into action this idea of repentance. That, that it is much more helpful and compelling to others to truly incarnate this, to truly walk in this in our daily lives than it is for us to tell somebody else about it. That we began literally, and I can tell you this week in my life, I have in journals of me literally walking through these questions. So I was feeling frustrated, I was feeling worried, and I said, okay, what am I believing about God right now? And I was trusting, in, in honestly, in, me, in myself, a false God, a, a pretty weak God, if you ask me. And I was, at that moment, had to wrestle with the gospel. Do I believe the gospel in this moment? And I will tell you, there's many times there is a wrestle. Like, you read the Psalms, right? And David is wrestling with God many times about believing these truths in the midst of really hard things. And it will be hard, but it is true. And I would encourage you this week to press in. Um, Because here's the thing. A person who lives out repentance. Have you been around those people before? That are just, just so annoyingly humble that they're just so aware of their sin and they walk just with kind of a limp almost, a spiritual limp. They're never focused on themselves too much. Um, those are the most helpful people to be around, aren't they? And the gospel just comes out of their lips just so effortlessly. I will tell you, when you're, when you're in the trenches um, in your own couch, bed, closet, wherever you kind of are with God, when there's the trenches of you walking through this right here, what you're seeing many times later on is the fruit of something that's doing great things for God. But it starts in the trenches of your own life walking through this. Let me pray for us.